pandemic has empowered people to redefine their definition of work. So as organisations set up for success in a post-COVID world, how should they rethink their relationship with their people? For me, this is a revolution that was going to happen and I think it's fantastic and we should be embracing it much, much more. I'm Ed Whitaker, and a warm welcome to the Patcast, the podcast from Patrizia, the leading investment manager and partner in global real assets. In this podcast, we offer you insights on a range of hot topics from the real assets industry, from important sector trends to key business developments and strategic decisions. Today, we're shining a spotlight on the assets that are fundamental to every company, the people, and exploring the ways in which the pandemic has caused a seismic shift in the employee-employer power balance. We have been dealing with codes that have been there for so long that are not anymore effective. They don't match the requirements of our people. That's Amal de Monaco, CEO, Asset Management and Development, European Real Estate at Patrizia. She joins our panel alongside Jenny Burns, CEO of Magnetic, who you heard from at the beginning. We're also joined by Simon Wolfe, Chief Human Resources Officer at Patrizia. Organisations are waking up to the fact that we should not just be accepting of difference, we should be celebrating, which should be something we should be chasing. So, with the rise of hybrid work being one of the byproducts of the pandemic, how have attitudes towards it changed? I think it's evolved, and I think it's evolving just much more quickly than it did in the past. It's been an exercise in everybody recalibrating priorities. That has fundamentally shifted the dynamic in the relationship between employer and employee. Employers have to think differently and employees are re-evaluating a number of things and have a number of changed priorities, I think, in a post-COVID world. And so that's changed. And I think organisational purpose, organisational values, the sort of um, relationship the uh, emotional relationship and the emotional bank account, if you like, that employees have with their employers um, has taken on greater significance, I would suggest. So I think it's, it's been a seismic shift in, in that relationship. I agree with Simon. I think, I think there's been a huge power shift towards the employee. That perfect storm of the pandemic and what that created with a skills shortage in so many much needed industries and areas has meant that the the power is now with employees so you know the great resignation as it was claimed to be called it is an example of that where people feel like they've got much more choice about where they work and who they work for and they've also recognized that working from anywhere means they can fit in life admin around where they're working so the perception is not so much more work-life balance but I have more time in the evening or more time at the weekend because if I work from anywhere then I can fit in all this other life admin that we all hated in between stuff and so I agree with Simon I think there's been a seismic shift towards the employee having the power base and I think that means that there's going to be a seismic shift, therefore, for leaders of of businesses moving forward who want to retain these skills and talent that they need. I think that's really true. And just to add to that, I think, you know, the the relationship employer-employee has largely been defined by rules, a set of rules or frameworks and guidance and policies. And I think the pandemic has taught us that there is no blueprint. You know, we didn't, none of us had a set of rules as to how to, how to navigate a global pandemic that we effectively had to sort of switch to complete home working almost overnight. 
And so that's changed the dynamic because we, we, that sort of set of very clear black and white rules around how we work has become a thing of the past. And that's, you know, a big change for leaders, for employees. And I think that that's been the interesting piece is that nobody's got a silver bullet as to how we're going to figure this out. And it's it's moving at 100 miles an hour. But what we do know is employees have a different set of priorities. Doing meaningful work is really important, but doing it in a way that also kind of allows for balance of home and work life and is, you know, supporting a, a healthy environment is really, really important. And none of us have got it right. And we're all kind of figuring it out. And there is a tendency to, to kind of follow best practice or look over your shoulder and think about, you know, which organizations are doing it right. And I think everybody's figuring it out. And so we, we lurched to complete mobile working overnight. And some organizations have shifted to kind of go to the other extreme now and say, right, everybody back. And very clearly, uh, the workforce doesn't want that either. So it's now finding a balance and different people have different requirements at different stages in their life. And I think we've got to create an, an environment that allows us to co-create what that new, that new world looks like. You've all kind of touched upon this idea around purpose and values and the rise of purpose-driven employees. And I read that a recent survey found that 75% of employees worldwide trust their employer more than politicians, which is... Maybe I, don't find that, maybe I don't find that surprising. <laughs> and we're also seeing a rise in purpose-driven organisations and companies. Do you think a clear purpose helps build trust with employees? Definitely. I think we shouldn't underestimate the degree of trauma that people have gone through during the pandemic emotionally. And I think there's going to be quite a long tail to that. You know, we there's you know generations of kids that have gone through two years of homeschooling you know there are all sorts of things that people have had to deal with bereavement not the least of those things so it's been a a process of people dealing with a number of very difficult situations that have allowed people to re have a bit of time to reflect on priorities and organizational purpose is critical to that and i think for our business in our sector particularly the focus on esg is not by accident you know people want to be part of doing something that's good and sustainable and um, you know creates a lasting legacy and so i think organizational purpose is critical people don't want to be aligned to a, an organization that doesn't align to their own personal values and priorities jenny um from your perspective, what do you think employees could do to connect with employees' purposes more? So we see so many businesses across multiple industries that are, you know, saying they're purpose-driven, but they're not walking the talk, as it were. So it's got to be authentic for people to believe. And, you know, we've talked a lot about the pandemic so far, but I think the shift to purpose has been much more driven by millennials and a new a new generation that care much more about the future and the imprint and legacy they leave on organizations and they are not aspiring perhaps to the traditional things we were like getting on the property ladder or getting married or you know all those social norms have been blown out of the water and so the traditional career ladder isn't what it was either and so i think for organizations to connect with this new generation who are going to be valuable from a digital innovation skills perspective the purpose has to connect with those people sufficiently that they can feel like they can point to their role within it 
because they're not going to stay around forever. You know, the job for life and the carriage clock at the end of 25 years is long gone. Um, these people want to leave a, a legacy. And so you've got to empower them to be part of that purpose. It's got to be authentic and they've got to be able to point to the role that they delivered in that whilst they were with you as an organisation and face facts that they'll, they'll probably move on to the next organisation after that. Aligning employees to a corporate purpose and set of values has long been a central pillar of successful people strategies. But with the pandemic ripping up the rulebook of what work means, being purpose-driven has never been more essential. So it's up to organisations to find new ways to attract, retain and connect with their people. So how exactly do they do that? So I think that for, especially for a hybrid work environment, uh, you need to build a, a strong trust among your teams. It's absolutely necessary because then without this strong, trustful relationship, you are, we will not be able to, to build uh, anything. It was already true in the old world. It's even more critical nowadays. And then also uh, we need to help our, our leaders, our managers uh, to manage through outcomes and not uh, to be um, destabilized because they cannot see anymore their teams. They cannot track or control the time they are spending doing several tasks. So to me, it's, uh, it's really a cultural shift uh, we need to undertake and we need to support the, the, the managers and the leaders in this uh, cultural ch shift because uh, some of them just struggle. We have been dealing with codes that have been there for so long that are not anymore effective. They don't match the requirements of our, our people. So we need to help them, to help me to shift into the right mode to connect to our people, to retain our people. And I think, again, uh, Simon said something that is, for me, so true, that there is no single uh, rule that will apply, even in our company, to all the teams. You really need to stay close to your teams, individuals, to listen to them, and to try to adapt to their requirements, whether they are parents, whether they are coming from a minority, disabled, for instance, whether they... they they experience differently the, the hybrid work because uh, remote work also has created inequities between people, whether I live in a nice villa or I'm in a very tight 15 square meters studio, whether they have a very nice uh, Wi-Fi or uh, connection of if I struggle and I'm doing this from my iPhone only. So we need to be mindful of these inequalities that have been created or that appeared more clearly with the hybrid work, this is the kind of thing we need to be trained to to be close to and to be mindful about. I would fully agree with that. And I would, to add, I would say that, you know, culture and mindset aren't things that you can impose upon an organization. It's not rule-based. I think what we have to do is create a set of behavioral norms and values that act as a North Star, that act as the guiding principle around how we behave and how we interact with each other. But for me, the trick is co-creation now and allowing everybody's voice to be heard in part of, as part of that evolution so that people have an opportunity to have their voice heard and for them to be represented, feel heard and represented in the organisation and be part of creating an environment that really embraces hybrid work. Because as Mar says, everybody's situation is different. 
I feel like this new world of work is putting in even more immense pressure on our leaders and line managers. Their accountabilities over years, whether that's because of cost reduction and spans of control, or whether it's because of responsibility has grown from a leadership perspective, those roles are getting hugely pressured. And we're now throwing in personalization of where I work across a big number of people, as well as potentially health and health and safety and well-being. That's become very blurred. And so I think there's also building on what you're saying, Simon Animal, an opportunity for us to empower employees um, to have the ability to make the right judgments. Because at the end of the day, we all run businesses. We all have clients and customers that we need to meet their needs. So everything's got to be balanced with enabling employees to be self-aware. What do they need to look after their own mental health? When should they come into the office? So the accountability is with them as well as their line manager. And when do they make a call that they do need to be in the office because there's a client there that needs them and they can't look after their dog anymore? I definitely think the power shift we talked about at the start has also created an imbalance actually in good business sometimes and I might be harsh for for sort of saying that but I think you know we have to put the frameworks in place to allow people to benefit from this amazing thing that's that's been accelerated but also face the fact that we need people to make good judgments based on what businesses need. I 100% agree with you there Jenny in that if I reflect on what the the role of a manager or leader now has become you know there are lots of elements to the employee experience that have to be thought about in a much more deliberate way than they perhaps were before because things don't accidentally happen in the way that they did before when everybody was in the office um, nine to five as you say so you know actually the role has to be much broader to think about how do you create those opportunities in a, in a way that's as i say much more deliberate than perhaps it might have been in the past so coaching mentoring temperature checking on the the sort of mood of the organization. Those are things that leaders, managers have to think much more deliberately about because those those organic opportunities just don't exist unless you're more conscious and deliberate about how you create those employee experiences. And again, we need to acknowledge how challenge uh, has become to to be a manager or leader because if we look at the research that is available nowadays, the majority of the people that are quitting a job is also because they, they, they like this sense of belonging. And that's one of the major challenges to that, how to create this sense of belonging if you give this flexibility and this uh, tailor-made uh, solution to uh, your team members. It's really not easy. And here again, I agree with what Simon was saying at the very beginning, we don't have yet the full solution to all this. We are learning as we do. As it but what we do know, you know, our direction of travel in terms of our view of the future of the office space is about creating a space where people want to be rather than feel they have to be. So I think if we invest our energy and effort in talking to our employees about what's the type of space where you can thrive and, you know, accommodate your approach to how you want to be working and be successful in work and also create that balance, that I think becomes self-perpetuating. We create great spaces and we give people the, the flexibility, then I think we can move to a situation where we've got that level of in-person and hybrid working balance that will continue to evolve over time. But if we focus on creating great spaces where people want to come for the right reasons, for the right interactions, 
That's got to be the trick. So with only 22% of people preferring to work in an office setting full time, according to McKinsey Research, with this shift in mind, do you think hybrid working is now a permanent feature of a strong employee value proposition? And what is the potential downside to hybrid work? I mean, I think it would be foolish to say anything set in stone if the past two years have taught us anything is that who knows what's around the corner. So right now, who knows? But I think in the foreseeable, I think people certainly expect flexibility. So I think everybody has to accept that that is part of the world of work going forwards. I agree. Hybrid work for me is the future. I hardly see us coming back to 100% as, as, as a community, not only Patricia, to 100% um, at the office work. And th- there are risks, of course, attached to hybrid that we were touching on, on, on this, how to create this sense of belonging, how to make sure that we are adopting the right solutions to fit our team's needs. But I don't see major risks going for uh, hybrid uh, work in the future. I, I see major uh, upside. I agree with them all. And I think actually the risk of not embracing it is greater. It's higher, yeah. I think one of the biggest challenges, and you kind of alluded to this, Simon, already, is that serendipity is a very powerful thing. And it feels like we've kind of lost a little bit of that accidental by chance moments in the office that really create sparks of innovation and accelerate people's thinking and is informal learning that just isn't as powerful in in a hybrid way. So I agree with absolutely the sentiment that that hybrid is is here to stay, certainly for the foreseeable future, and definitely something I'm passionate about. I think we've got to work harder to create those spontaneous moments, those moments where you used to pass in the corridor that have now become a half an hour slot in the Zoom calendar in about six weeks time like that that's not how we're going to be able to be dynamic to to meet the needs of of our customers who who are demanding more of us so I think that's the biggest challenge really. With the fight for talent that we're seeing at the moment I'm sure we're seeing a lot of organizations like Patrizia evolve their people deal to support their drive to attract and retain talent do you think the real estate industry has previously been seen as an attractive sector to work in? And do you think it could be doing more now to be increasing its appeal as a sector to work in to attract talent from other sectors? First, I would say that uh, Patricia has been in the front line when it comes to hybrid uh, work. And that is a really uh, competitive advantage when compared to other major players. So in that respect, I think we need to be, uh, to acknowledge where we stand. When it comes to the industry as a whole, I think we have been adopting hybrid work and as we were saying, testing and learning the same way other industries have been doing over the last uh, two to three years. I think the sector is even more attractive uh, nowadays than it used to be in the past. And it was already very popular among uh, the talents because it's it's real. Uh, Real assets are very popular uh, these last years. But now um, with the growing uh, awareness around ESG, we have the ability to have such an impact in our environment on the E, but not only on the E, we can uh, create properties, communities, uh, where the social piece is also very strong. And it's very important as a landlord now, or as an asset manager, to consider this social component in a hybrid environment, 
We need to think about our properties, the amenities we provide, the role of technology in enabling this uh, sense of belonging, in enabling this well-being. So being in the, in the property business is, is great, I think, nowadays. For those who are looking for a purposeful job and a mission that, that has an impact. Jenny, any observations in terms of the, the current fight for talent and what organisations could do to evolve their people deals? What I'm seeing across other industries and maybe in your sector in competitors as well is much more about decentralised leadership models. So how leaders set the tone at the top of the organisation, but actually the actions are orientated from movements for change within within the business. And so I think that's a trend that, you know, coincides with kind of the pandemic and the skills shortage and this idea that millennials are, are wanting more from what they do and want to leave a mark. I think the more that you can set the tone at the top and be brave to leave people and be the action orientated ones from from within, I think it is really powerful and very attractive from a talent perspective. Research from global management consulting firm McKinsey found that 70% of employees now believe their sense of purpose is defined by their work. This suggests it's now more important than ever to understand exactly what matters most to employees. From offering the flexibility of hybrid work through to listening to and celebrating different employee communities, now is the perfect time for organisations to take a step back and create a new path for the employee-employer relationship. Kind of central to what we do as a business is listening. So whether that's listening to customers or employees, it's imperative to be able to design the right solutions to the, the problems that those the, those groups have. I think hybrid working has made it more challenging to listen and the responsibility of line managers to remain in tune to how their teams are feeling and what's going on and have a duty of bringing that insight in the right way to the right people to, to drive action is is really, really critical. And, you know, the other side of this, I think, is in theory, on paper, hybrid working should generate more inclusivity and more opportunities for listening. So, you know, where you've got globally dispersed workforces and and where you've got offices around the world, connecting people digitally and giving people a voice where they might not have been confident to do so in person, but would be online, it's a hugely powerful tool if it's used in, in the right way. I think the other side to that tension is that people can very easily feel isolated at home. Um, so they can feel equally as connected as isolated. And, it, and it's, it's a huge tension. You know, this links to the kind of feedback culture, really. I'm sure we've all done it. You know, you've got offer off a Teams call or a Zoom call and gone, oh, bloody hell, put the phone down. And you're pounding around the house going, well, that didn't go the way I wanted it to. And so-and-so wasn't as meanable as I thought they would be. And you've got nowhere to vent that or talk to the person immediately after the meeting. And so I think there's a danger that actually, you know, things can fester and you can feel quite quite lonely. I don't know whether that's your experiences, but that's what we're, we're kind of seeing, definitely. Simon, I guess EDNI and advancing EDNI Patrizia is obviously one of our core focuses and, and a priority for us. How do we go about listening to employees at every level of the organisation? It's um, it's critical that we listen. We haven't got it right. 
so we you know we're working on it i think we've been great at talking talking to our employees we've got to get better at listening and that's why i'm so passionate about the edni council that we've created and this is a an agenda item for us it's why it's so high on our list of priorities and why i think it's so critical because giving every community giving every employee a voice and a platform is really really important and li- truly listening is really important and that is at the heart of our edni agenda and why i and uh, you know amal are so passionate about this is that it's creating those employee resource groups creating communities within our wider employee community to have a voice and for us to connect and create that two-way dialogue because everybody has a different lens on the world everybody has a different perspective and everybody's situation is we should be respected and, and listened to and so we haven't got it right but we're working really hard on it and i think it's important also to identify which are the moments that matter for which it is critical to have the really the right approach listening approach the right feedback when it comes to edni it can be the hiring process it can be the onboarding of a, a new joiner it can be as simple as uh, when co- someone comes back to work after an important life event uh, how we we incorporate these people in the company after such a, an important event it can be as simple as how do i give feedback to a colleague uh, a member of my team my boss and uh, of course it's important also uh, in the way we listen and we give feedback during the end of the year assessment these are moments and there are many others that we need to be mindful about and where we should embed fully our dni policy and do you think people's perception of what edni actually means has shifted over the years we think that there is a lot of education and awareness to to work on first at all levels across the industry also and across the industries is not specific to to the real estate one it's an important piece to develop the capabilities of our people first but it, this doesn't prevent us from starting to show day to day how this translates into our work into our workplace, into our relationship with our team, with uh, our colleagues, etc. But I wouldn't say that uh, over one year for us, for instance, it has completely transformed the way our people look at EDNI. That wouldn't be fair. They are more curious about it. They want to understand how it's going to impact the way they, they act at work, how it hits their potential values too. So uh, that's where listening is absolutely key and uh, trying to adapt whatever we will be doing to the individual journey also, because we we don't have a company journey only. We have individuals within the company and we need to make sure that we are not uh, obliging them. They don't perceive this uh, very positive initiative as something they are, it is compulsory to, to them, whether they subscribe or not, whether they understand or not. Why do you think it's essential that talent development remains a top priority for businesses, particularly in a challenging economic backdrop that we're seeing at the moment when budgets could be looked at a bit more closely? I mean, you would expect me to say it, but um, (laughs) because people are our our most valuable asset, everything's a lot easier when times are good. 
you know, but the strength of your talent pool becomes even more critical when, when the environment gets more, more complex, more challenging. And so it's, it's even more critical to the success of any business that you've got, um, you've got a robust talent pipeline through your organization. But you can only create diverse talent agendas if you've got the right and you've got a diverse talent pool coming into your organization in the first place. Um, and also the pipeline of talent that's coming into your organization to be able to have talent development agendas that support a more equitable and diverse progression plan through the organization. So it's, you know, it's multi-layered and you've got to think about it from different lenses, but it becomes even more critical when times are tough. I agree. I think the case for investing in talent and diversity and inclusion is, is huge. The war for talent isn't going anywhere. It's been heightened massively by the fact that geographical location is is less important in hiring decisions. So therefore, the pool's bigger, and so you need to be attractive to the to the very best talent within that. And then I believe hybrid working requires greater investment in learning de- development and talent development because people aren't getting those organic, spontaneous learning opportunities quite as much. So we have to invest more, and then. From a, from a diversity perspective, we are all failing in many ways and are not doing enough by any means. If you look at the leadership skills we're going to need for the future around increased em- empathy, increased inclusivity, increased listening, increased customer human focus, and having organisations that are representative of our, the diversity of our clients and customers it is where the business case is. And and so that all needs investment. And, you know, specifically, I think, you know, the industries within which we work, probably with the, the exception of probably CPG and retail, are still male dominated. So we're not even just talking about the broader diversity, we're talking about you know, male, female diversity. We know that our clients and customers are 50% female, 50% male. And so in order to respond to them and have the empathy we need, we've we've got to do more. And government quotas aren't enough. You know, having worked in many large organisations, it's not the board that are running the business and making hiring and, and management decisions. It's the executive team. And so to have board quotas is is a good symbol of intent, but it, it's not enough. I think, you know, I think it's it's becoming much more widely acknowledged the positive business effect and the bottom line contribution that diversity can bring to a firm. I think there are stats, you know, all over the place that would, you know, support that business case. So I think, it, you know, people are understanding and see the value in terms of the bottom line contribution of a diverse workforce. I think the relationship and the, the respect that there is for difference in organisations is changing. So I think people are much more respectful of difference and more curious about understanding the differences that exist in society and I think we're engaging in a healthier dialogue and I think organizations are waking up to the fact that we should not just be accepting of difference we should be celebrating which should be something we should be chasing and embracing in our organization so celebrating difference in our workforce is is a good thing so I think that conversation that narrative is changing in the workforce and that's really a healthy place and then I think various different communities are sort of running out of patience with a lack of diversity. So that sort of momentum of creating a forum, creating those employee resource groups, because 
people are just running out of patience of, with organizations that don't create a respectful workforce. You know, it's, it's still shocking to me that we sort of haven't moved past that place where difference is, is so divisive in the workforce right now. And we have to have these, these discussions, but that's where we are. But I think we're having a much more healthy debate. And our job is to create that platform, create that environment and open those discussions so people are better educated and you know, respect the difference and celebrate it. When viewing through the lens of advancing EDI, where do you think the real estate industry stands today compared to 10, 15 years ago? And Amala put that to you as someone who's worked in the real estate industry for a significant portion of your career. Uh, I think we are in much better place than when I started 25 years ago, basically. I can see much more color around me. I can see much more women around me, but is it enough? No. We, it is a business that is still uh, very much male dominant, while male dominant. Till recently, we will not talk very openly about uh, sexual differences, about uh, ethnicities. So this is pretty new. But what I see very positive uh, too, to to finish on a very positive note, is that there is no single serious organization that does not have EDNI on top of their agenda. So there is a, an awareness, an increasing awareness of how important this is. This is for our industry. As Simon was saying, uh, there are many, many studies that show that it has positive impact on profitability, on results, on performance. But also our clients, our investors and tenants are asking for more diverse pool of uh, fund managers, asset managers, uh, real estate industry players. So I see very good momentum. And I guess when you think about how diverse our, our stakeholders are, we need to have an organization and we need to have an industry that, that reflects the breadth of our stakeholders and, you know, their various activities. And I guess, Simon, just, just to end on as someone who's perhaps come into the real estate industry, perhaps a newbie to the real estate industry, what's been your kind of perception of where it is in, in terms of ED&I and compared to, to previous sectors that you've worked in? I think it's, I, I don't think anybody's got it right. All organizations, as Amal said, have realized that it's time to make a change. And everybody has different challenges, but there's, there's, there's no one industry. And certainly from where I've come from, you know, you've got different challenges. So I wouldn't say it's, it's substantially better or different or, you know, the real estate industry is worse, really. They've just got different challenges. But what I would say is that there is tremendous support for engaging in the discussion and to make progress. You know, you only have to look at the participation level in some of the speaker series events that we've been holding over the past six months, the attendance levels, whether it's around Mental Health Awareness Week, whether it's been during Pride Month where we've had events, you know, there have been attendance and the allyship that we've got within the organization is tremendous. And I would say actually that's been one of the positive elements of joining this industry three and a half, four years ago, is, you know, people want to be part of an organisation that is, you know, making change. And that's, that's something I would, I've been pleasantly surprised at, actually. Thank you to our guests, Jenny Burns, Amal DeMonaco and Simon Wolfe. And thank you for listening. I'm Ed Whitaker, and you've been listening to the podcast from Patrizia. You can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts and Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And don't forget to head over to our website, patrizia.ag, to find out more. 
stay safe and healthy. Until next time. This podcast is produced by OG Podcasts. Find out more at ogpodcasts.co.uk.